Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer two Sunday morning services with something for everyone. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while the kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, 9.30 or 11.30 every Sunday. Now here's Pastor Marco with another encouraging word. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from John chapter 13. And, uh, and then we're going to have communion today because this is, this is where Jesus had communion with his first disciples. And there was a point to the communion that even now we have to untangle what communion really is. And I pray today you're going to have a fresh understanding of communion. Why it's so powerful and why we don't do it every week because we don't want it to lose the essence of what it, what it actually is. So John 13, this is actually the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. This is basically the last moments before he goes to the cross. And he says this to his disciples right after they had communion. So we're going to flip this. We're going to have communion afterwards. But they, they just had communion, right? And Jesus says this to them. Verse 33, John 13 says, dear children. By the way, do you know this? The original disciples were between the ages of 15 to 21. You ever watch those Hollywood movies that they all like look really old? <laughs> They're all older than Jesus? No, all of them was between the 15 and 21. And history tells us probably the oldest one in the crowd was Peter. Because he was already married. Peter was like, I'm the adult in the room. But he wasn't really. Peter was very immature. You know. Uh, and, and so... That's when you see dear children, understand that. Here's a 33-year-old man talking to some teenagers. And I would, I would say this to you this morning, that he even said, like, if you don't have an attitude like a child, you won't be able to receive the things I have for you. Because kids are teachable. Adults are stuck in their way. So I pray we always have a teachable attitude as a kid. Can you say Amen. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you, I am giving you a new commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm giving you a new principle. Remember principle, commandments, principles? Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Love each other as I have loved you. And your love for one another is what's going to prove to the world that you are my disciples or my students or my apprentices or my followers. That's the word for discipleship. Can you say amen? amen? So this is the whole point of us untangling so many things that have gotten in a way of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Everything that Jesus was doing on his three years of earthly ministry was to get to this place. So if you go back now after we do this series and you reread the New Testament, you're going to see this in a new light. You're going to see that everything that he was doing 
was to get us to this place to say, no, this is what it was the whole point. Like I had to untangle all this other stuff to get you to this place. And then if you begin to read the book of Acts, how the church grew, this was it. This was the premise of the whole church after this. It was just like, hey, we got to go back to what Jesus said that we were supposed to be about, which is to love one another the way he loved us. And that's the way we're going to show the world that there's a God who loves all people, Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, slaves and, and slave owners, like all of it. And then you go to, to Paul's writings. Paul hinges on this every single time. Paul was like, listen, don't forget that at the end of the day, what matters is faith expressing itself through the way you love one another. John echoes the same thing. John says, hey, listen, remember, children, that at the end of the day, listen, it doesn't matter how much you say you love God. If you can't see him but you can't love one another you see every day, then you're not really doing the will of God because God says love one another just as I have loved you. And then you get the James, brother of Jesus, who says, listen, I don't care how much faith you have. If your faith does not have legs to, to, to help your brother, to help your sister, and to help those in need, then it's no faith at all. It doesn't matter what you say. And then you get to Jude and Jude says, listen, all this stuff that you made religion about, it doesn't matter if God is not in the midst of your love and how you're affecting your neighbor and how you're blessing other people, then you didn't really get the point of what Jesus said in the first place. And then you get to the book of Revelation. And listen, the book of Revelation is so misunderstood. I will do a series on Revelation and show you that we don't understand. John was a pastor in a very difficult time. They were going to persecution. And the reason why Revelation is so coded, it was that for them to be able to understand, here's what we're doing, here's what God is doing. But at the end of the day, if you go and look again at the book of Revelation, it all comes down to, hey, how are we loving people the way that Jesus intended for us to love them? Because that's the only way we're going to win this world for Jesus. The hard part is to untangle how cliche this has become. Love one another. But notice, he didn't say love one another. He says love one another as I have loved you. Because in the Western society, we have a tendency to equate love with feelings. But think about it. In just a few hours after he said this, he went to demonstrate his love through action. He went and gave his life. He was wrongly accused, wrongly tried. They tried him overnight, which was against even the own government rules. Everything about Jesus, his condemnation was wrong. But he knew this was all part of God's plan to reflect to the world what true love actually looks like. This is not about how you feel about somebody. This is the Hollywood version of love. No, my friends, love has legs to it. Love puts other people first. Love demonstrated through sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through his son he would save those that would come and understand that this is love. So my friends, you see how much wasted energy we spend on religious things that has nothing to do with what Jesus said he wanted his movement to be about. He didn't say, hey, the world will know that you are my disciples by how well you pray. He didn't say the world will know you are my disciples by how well you sing. 
The world will know you are my disciples by how well you tithe. The world will know that you are my disciples because you went to church. No, he said the world will know that you are my followers by the way you love one another. Just the way that I loved you. Not the way that you think you want to love each other, but the way that I. How did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. Selflessly. Willingly. He said, you don't take my life. He says, I give my life. My friends, that's why we say we don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. There's a difference when you are operating from a place of love and understanding that this is not about me, myself, and I. This is not even about my feelings. Like, I don't come to church because I felt like coming to church. I come to church because I have a love mutual relationship with God that has nothing to do with how I feel any given Sunday. So when we entangle everything else that we made it about, all the arguments, all the nonsense, all the religious arguments and who's right and who's wrong, we understand at the end of the day, Jesus is like, listen, this is the only thing that's going to matter. How do you love one another the way I loved you? This is, the, this is the barometer. Like if we're looking for a scorecard, this is it. Because we all want a scorecard. How do I know? Right? How do I know? This is it. How well are you loving others is the scorecard. Listen, I, this is the reality. Jesus is making a strong statement here. He says, a new commandment. You know what he just did? This is powerful. I don't even know we catch it because we're so ingrained with religion. He literally said, discard the old. Like, forget the old. And this is hard because here's a, these are Jewish kids who are immersed in the Old Testament. That's all they know. There's no New Testament. There's no writings of Paul. There's no gospels. All they know is Genesis to Malachi. That's all they know is the laws, it's the rules, it's the regulations, it's the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, hey, today I'm giving you a new commandment. Discard the old. That's hard when your, your whole mind and your whole life and your whole philosophy has been hinged on the old. This is the toughest part about this series that I'm praying we understand. Like God is saying, dislodge the old and embrace the new. And you know what the struggle is for us today, 2,000 years later, is that there are so many old stuff still getting its way into the new. Depending on how you grew up, depending your, or your, or on your background and, and how much religion was, was, was revealed to you, I, I guarantee you, if we were to stop your interview right now, there's a lot of old in you, in how you think. This is what I'm saying. When, so when someone like Kanye comes on the scene, you know what happens? A lot of the old in us comes out. The old can't compute. How in the world can this guy who is so vile, who has done so weird things and so shady things, how can he be the mouthpiece for God? Well, the same way the Apostle Paul, who hated Christians, became the ultimate mouthpiece. And you know what's interesting? The first believers didn't believe Paul. They were like, yo, you, you're trying to... Lure us in so you can kill us too. And it takes someone who understood the, the new, someone named Barnabas, who said, no, no, my friends, this is what God said it would happen. It was going to expand who gets to be part of this thing. 
And so God is always shocking us because he's doing something completely new that does not fit the old. And he said, you cannot put old wine into new wineskins. So this is our struggle. All of us have to untangle the old that's been ingrained in us for so long. Depending, again, how you grew up, God helps those who help themselves. That's the old. Because God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's the new. Right? I am a good person. That's the old. I am a grace person. That's the new. I was baptized, catechized, made the all-star team, the altar boy team. That's old. Anyone who is in Christ is a new believer. The old is gone. The new has come. This is a struggle. Because I tell you, I'll preach this for six months and we will still have old things ingrained in us. Because I myself am still working out old things out of my thinking. All things out of what Jesus said. No, I need you to dislodge that completely. I'm giving you a new commandment. Like, just do this one thing. If you do this one thing well, you've done everything. Wow. So if you love well, you've done everything. See, the old still thinks that it's about a personal relationship with God. But the new says, no, it's actually, it's about a relationship with everyone. Because you can say, I'm, I love God, but you're not loving the one he created in his image. You can say, man, I had an awesome devotional time today until I met this person who ruined my devotional. And God's saying, no, that person is your devotional. <laughs> I'm telling you, we have to dislodge this thing. Oh, man, I was having a great worship time in my car until someone cut me off. <laughs> and God is saying, no, that's actually how you worship. What do you do when someone cuts you off? See, God could care less about how well you're praying to him, how well you're worshiping. He's saying, no, I want to know how well you're going to love that difficult person. That's the barometer. That's the new barometer. Like, he doesn't care about how spiritual you are. If your spirituality doesn't affect your neighbor, it means jack. And that's troubling for all of us who grew up in the old. Because in the old, they tell you, to be a disciple, you got to be knowledgeable. How well do you know the Bible? How many Bible verses can you quote? What credentials do you have? In the new, he says, well, the way you show me how well you know the Bible is how well you treat people. Because your Bible verse needs to come alive through how you deal with people. Are you tracking with me? I'm telling you, this, this, it, it, just, it just messes everything up. It's like, I don't care about your perfect church attendance. It's, it's, get this, he says this at the end. Of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, how perfect are you in loving people? That's the whole Sermon on the Mount. The last verse, he says, hey, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You're like, no one's perfect. That's the point. He's saying, perfect yourself in how you treat people. 
You see how this changes the game? It doesn't matter how well you read in this Bible. If this Bible is not reading you to make you be more into people and more, and, and, it doesn't matter. Like, the new says this. The new is, I read this so that I can know how to best help others. I don't read this to get goosebumps. <laughs> I don't read this to figure out how to get ahead in life. I read this to figure out how do I treat others because the way I treat others is how God says this is how you're going to get ahead in life. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because we want it to be something else. But you notice how God is funny? Almost every other day he puts someone in your life <laughs> to bless you. <laughs> every other day there's someone who gets in your way of your devotionals. I was being a good Christian until Sally came. <laughs> and I, and I, I just told this to one of our staff members. I said, you know, I don't know if you're paying attention, but... There's homeless people that keep showing up at our door. I think Jesus is disguising himself to say, hey, this guy just kept knocking on your door. How are you responding to him says, how do you respond to me? Because the, the, the news says, hey, pay attention because you might be entertaining angels and not even know it. But he says those angels are going to come disguising homeless people, nagging people, difficult people, hurting people, struggling people. And God is going, let's see how well they understand that this is what the new is all about. So the, the, the question that we got to ask ourselves is how did Jesus love us? Because that's how he said, I want you to love others. And I was searching scriptures to try to find, because I can't give you everything, and try to find one verse that would really summarize this. And I think Paul, the one who hated Christians, who Jesus, by the way, showed up to him and said, he didn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting my Christians? He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Do you see how personal Jesus takes it when you hurt other people? It's like you're hurting me because they're all created in my image. So Paul, when he understood this, he began to, Spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And here's what he said. To me, I think best summarizes what, he's, what Jesus is trying to say to us is this. Is that, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. How well does Jesus love us? While we were still sinners. The old says, get your act together. The new says, No. I love you before you even got your act together. I cared about you even before you cared about me. You know what the word sin means? It's missing the point. It says, man, I, I cared about you even when you were missing the point. Even when you could care less about me. Even when you were selfish and, and, and all it was about you, yourself and you. You didn't care about anybody else. You didn't care about looking at other people. He said, I loved you that much. I didn't just say I love you. I demonstrated it. Because love demonstrates Anyone could post this on Facebook and think this is it. It's after you post it. It's what you do. It's actually what you do. I think a lot of people have a romantic idea of what it means to follow Jesus in their minds. Again, your devotional is cute. Have you noticed 
Your devotionals barely give you complicated verses to wrestle with. When was the last time you, you read a devotion that says, hey, go die to yourself and stop being selfish? Your devotional usually tries to appease your conscience. And so we have to unhinge the old if we're going to lock in with the new. So I don't know how the disciples, this must have messed their minds up. Be like, wait, our entire lives is hinged on the old. You want us to undo all that and just embrace this? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm dead serious about this because in a few hours I'm going to show you. I'm actually going to literally give my life. My body. And I think we, we so lightly look over that like, you know, he's Jesus. No, he was a human being. 100% man, 100% God. He felt everything that day. So much so that he was sweating blood. That's how stressed he was over this whole thing. So we can't gloss over that thing like, oh, that's just Jesus. No, that's a human, fully 100% man saying, no, I got to prove to you this is what love looks like. Straight naked. Shameful. Spit upon, beaten, threatened. They put thorns on his head. They mocked him. And they led him in this hill for everybody to see. And they, they put things over his head. Yeah, you're son of God, a mockery. But not realizing that's the natural. Supernaturally, God was saying, this is how we're going to show the whole world how much I love you and I'm for you. And I want you to reflect who I am when you begin to fully understand why I'm doing this. You have to understand the disciples really couldn't fully grasp it at first. If you read the story, they kind of went home sad and depressed because they're like, oh, our Savior is dead. Because they still thought the old way. The old way thought that the Savior was going to come to just eradicate the Romans and take over immediately, set up camp and, and do it the same way they always done it. And Jesus is like, no, this is going to be a different kingdom. This kingdom is reversed. This kingdom is like, you, if you're first, you're going to be last. This kingdom is, <laughs> is what the great theologian says. You can't have two number ones. That makes 11. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Talladega Knights. Okay, whatever. <laughs> like, he flips this thing. Can I, can I say this? I think, I think we like the version of Christianity we created more than the actual Christianity. <laughs> it's going to take a little while to process that. I think we like what we created more than Jesus created. Because then I can, I can create my own way of doing this thing. That's the challenge of this religion. Is that I can create something that I feel fits me. You ever heard that? That's good for you. I'm glad you're doing that for yourself. So great. I'm telling you. We could be in church for 30, 40, 50 years and create a Jesus that doesn't exist. I met with a young man not long ago, and he says, I don't believe in God anymore. I said, funny, because I think I probably don't believe in that God neither. Because a lot of God we create doesn't exist. 
We create a God that we like, we can control, and we can say what he does, he doesn't do. We can tell him how much money we can put in. We can tell him when to serve. We can tell him when to give. We can tell him who to like, who not to like. We can tell him who we want to love, who to want to love. Like, we can create our own little God. Oh, that's see, that's why we don't clap, because we know. We know it's true. We know it's true. Especially in the 21st century. I can create my own little God. I can listen to the podcast that I like, that appeases my conscience. And I will never listen to anyone who pokes me a little bit. I can have my own little like preachers that I like. Oh, these guys, I like them because they make me feel amazing and they don't say anything that contradicts my soul. They don't do anything that hurts my game. I can create my own worship team. You know what I mean? I can create my own thing. In the meantime, the real Jesus is being tangled up in all kinds of stuff. I'm telling you, personal preference is not following Jesus. Matter of fact, if you're following Jesus, most of the time, it rubs against your personal preferences. Because I have a schedule to keep. I don't want a homeless man to keep buzzing the bell. But in the meantime, Jesus is like, I'm trying to disrupt your schedule. tell you, we can play church or we can really follow Jesus. So I'm telling you, Pascal was right. He said God created us in his image, then we returned the favor. So he says, no, this is how you really show that you are my followers, not religious people. Followers of a living God. It's how you love. It's how you care. It's actually how you show up in people's lives. It's like I can kill. Listen, we can put on a worship. Like sometimes I hear Christians, let's just have worship. Nothing wrong with it. Problem is, what are you going to do after that? You got your goosebumps, now what? You got your playlist, now what? My friends, that's going to get boring very, very quickly. That's why, I don't know about you guys, when I was a kid, and I used to hear preachers talking about, when we go to heaven, we're going to worship for all eternity. I'm like, that's heaven? That sounds like purgatory to me. Who wants to be stuck in a worship service for all eternity? Would you? These guys are great, but do you want to be up in heaven forever listening to Elijah? No, understand, the word worship means a lifestyle. How you treat a homeless man says how well do you worship God. How you treat a co-worker who is nagging says how well do you actually worship God. That's the true worship. Paul says be a living sacrifice. So you don't have to die like Jesus because he already did that for you. Now can you live like you don't. Live for yourself. That's the sacrifice. That's holy, pleasing to God. That's your reasonable act of worship. How you treat others. That is Christianity. And that doesn't excite us. Because we would rather go to a concert and get goosebumps. Serve the city is the most Christian thing that we do in this church. But that doesn't excite us. It is the most 
powerful Christian thing we can do is go to prison and visit those behind bars because that's what the Bible says. He says, when I was naked, you gave me something to put on. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. Jesus is like, that's what excites me. And we're like, yeah, but that's not what excites me. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? You see how challenging it is to actually entangle? Because it's so much better to talk about laws and rules. Who's in? Who's out? Who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? None of us know. But we're so concerned with that stuff. Jesus is like, why don't you just bring heaven to earth? Why don't you help people see that I am here in your midst every day, all the time, by how you show up in people's lives? How about this week when you see that mom struggling to pay groceries and you pay for her groceries because that's how God loved you. He paid for your sins. He paid for your shortcomings. He paid for the things that you were hurting. Like, that is what God says, ah, now. Now we're going somewhere. How about instead of waiting for someone to bless you, you start blessing others? Because then we can go somewhere. Now the kingdom is being built on earth. Go ahead, go to my next point. What does love require of me? That's Christianity. Leave that up there forever. Every week we should just leave this. What does love require of me? Because he said, love as I have loved you. When you untangle the stuff from cliches, it's challenging. He simplified it, but he made it more challenging. Because now you can't argue about laws. Because he's like, no, no, ask that question. That's the ultimate question you're going to ask if you're my follower. What does love require of me? Because, because for, the, for the CEO, it required him everything. Say, like, oh, now you, you, you going to follow me? That's the question I want you to ask. If you're not asking this question, you're not asking what it means to follow Jesus. What does love require of me? Now, let's untangle this because it's so easy to, be, to make a cliche. I just love now, let's unpack it a little bit. If you're a single person, what does love require of you? How would you treat a potential mate if you're asking this question? Would you put pressure on them to have sex with you? Or would you be asking, how do I best protect this person? Because love requires me to protect you. Love requires me to help you. Love requires me to help you on your journey. Love requires me to look out for you. I am my brother's keeper even when I'm dating. Think about that as a married person. What does love require of you as a husband? What is the love of God, selfless, sacrificial, putting others first as a husband? What does that look like? When the kids are going crazy and the dishes are at to be done and you're watching ESPN, what does love require of me? My God, this has been convicting me. What does love actually require of me, preacher man? Because he's like, I can care less how well you preach. I want to see how well you love. 
What does love require of you, wives? Sacrificial, selfless, put in your husband first, put in your kids first. And you're like, that's what a wife is? See, I won't get on you guys. I'm 41, I'm, I'm smarting up a little bit. I'm not touching that. That's a hornet's nest. Full of love, full of love. Seriously though, every part of our lives we should be asking this question. As a parent, what does love require of me? I think I got my next series. I think God told me, let's talk about family in December. Because if you think about it, Christmas is, is a family story. So we're going to start a family series in first week in December. And I'm going to title it what my dad taught me, Church Starts at Home. Because if we can do that, we can do that anyway. Because I've been asking this question. Because the Bible says, yes, children, honor your mom and dad. But the Bible also says, parents, don't exasperate your children. So what does love require of me? And then children, what does love require of you? You who is 35 still living at home. I tell you what love requires of you. Get out. Now, seriously though, let's, I, I, I want to even go deeper than this. Businessman, businesswoman, what does love require of you? Is the bottom line of your business just to make money or is there people attached to your bottom line? Because as followers of Jesus, even our business are, is affected. And those who do it well, make money. Just look at Chick-fil-A. It's a Christian business. When the world tried to tank it, it skyrocketed. You know why? Because God says, hey, if you're asking this question, I'm going to bless your business. I'm going to protect your business. I'm going to protect your house. I'm going to protect your finances. I'm going to protect everything that you do. What does love require of me when I'm dealing with people I don't agree with? People who drive me crazy. People who I want to lay hands on, not to pray for. <laughs> I tell you, this is where the rubber meets the road. We can create our little Christian bubble all we want, and God will still keep poking it. He says, hey, what are you going to do? How about Sally? Because I love Sally. Like I loved you. Go read the New Testament again. Forgive as I have forgiven you. Reach as I have reached you. Help as I helped you. Bless as I blessed you. Like, what does love require of me? When it comes to the drug addiction in our communities. Do you ever see someone who struggles with opioids through the eyes of Jesus? Do you think Jesus sits there and condemns them? And judges them? Or does Jesus say, look at my scars. I love you. 
Even your addiction can be healed through me. What does love require of me when someone wrongs me? Can I tell you one of the things that just cuts right through me when I read Jesus? is how he loved Judas. Like, he said, friend. Friend. Those are not the words we would use. Someone backstabs me, friend is the last word of my vocabulary. He said, friend, why do you betray me with a kiss? And you don't think that went right through Judas' soul? Why do you think he committed suicide? Remorse. It broke him. Man, I just betrayed him and he loved me. Again, Paul, who hated Christians, takes this a step further. He says, hey, you know what, what happens when you begin to do good to those who don't do you good? It's like you're reaping a heap of coals over their heads. Like you, you make them go crazy. Because when people hate on you and you're loving them, they don't know what to do with themselves. And it sets you free. I was praying this morning. I always pray before I come. I'm like, God, it's amazing how quickly little things lodge in our hearts. Bitterness. Someone wronged us and we didn't deal with it. It just keeps growing. And then we start to generalize people. We all have done it. All men are the same because someone broke your heart. All churches are the same. All businesses. Like we start to do that because of a little thing that took root. I'm going to camp here for a couple of weeks. What does love require of me? Because this is what's messing with me as a preacher. And I look at our church and I say, is this what we're doing? Is this what we're motivated by, compelled by, driven by, passionate by? That man, he loved us. And he says, hey, this is how the world is going to know. Think about this, right? This is a, it's, here's another thing that's been messing with me. If, if someone, all they had is, was you. All they had was you, not the Bible, because they didn't have the Bible. Remember that. They didn't have the Bible. We've, we've, in our 21st century, we've made Christianity about the Bible. It was never about the Bible. It was about a person who embodied the Bible. And we argue in verses instead of arguing lifestyles. That's all they had was Jesus' life and resurrection, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and they went out and began to tell people about this Jesus, not based on the Bible, based on experience. So the question I've been asking, because I've been, I've been, I went back to the first century, I'm learning more about them. Listen, in the middle of persecution, this thing grew. He didn't grow because Jesus rose from the dead. That sounds blasphemy, doesn't it? Because think about it, if Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't do anything with it, it would have just died. It grew because they took it seriously and actually went out and put their lives on the line. And it grew. You know why it grew? Go read the first century church. And, and just not just church, history. They said the reason why Christianity grew is because these guys loved people well. They valued people that in that society no one valued. You think this, this Me Too movement is new? It's 2,000 years old. Jesus valued women when no one else did. The first disciples were women. And now we don't let women preach. What's wrong with us religious people? <laughs> Who did Jesus show up to 
after the resurrection. Woman, who do you, listen, we take offering every week, go read your Bible. You know who used to take care of Jesus' ministry when they would travel and needed food, needed lodging? It was woman. Matter of fact, one of them blew my mind when I'm studying. One of them, one of them was from Herod's house. Herod hated Jesus. He didn't know that one of his girls is sponsoring Jesus. Children, you know the Romans would cast children to die if it wasn't a male. They called this thing, they had a name for it, expose it. And like if it survives, then it was meant to survive. But you know what Christians were doing? What does love require me? Christians who knew where these places were, they would take these kids home with them. Now think about this, these are peasants with no money, with no means, adding on more human beings to take care of. Why? Because love requires that when I see a human being hurting, I don't just watch it. I need to do something. You have to understand, they live in a day and age where life was cheap. Gladiator is not just a movie. It was a reality. That's how they got entertained. We watched Netflix, they went and saw people get killed live and applauded. They even threw Christians in there for fun. But story goes, the way that gladiators ended was because Christians kept getting in there and praying as they were getting killed. And people were like thrown off by it. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. These people are getting killed and they're praying and they're singing worship songs. And, and people begin to have their hearts convicted and saying, why are we applauding this stuff? What does love require of me? This is a true story, my friends. This is a legacy. This is a lineage. This is what the Christians did. They loved hard. They didn't hide in persecution. They went out there and loved even more. And we're over here, 21st century, talking about how comfortable can I get? So what does love require of me? This is the whole point. Why would we go through such extent to build a place just to get comfortable? I think God says, man, I'm trying to build a place where more people can come and ask the question, what does love require of me in this 21st century? But I don't just leave about me, myself, and I, but I'm thinking about the world. God loves everybody. <laughs> now let me convict us a little deeper. My friends, what do we do with the people who are not living the lifestyle that we think they should be living? Because this is messing with me. I'm the preacher man. What does love require of me when someone's lifestyle does not reflect what I believe? Throw some Bible verses at them and push them even further away? Or do I find ways to bridge gap and build a bridge and hopefully we can meet somewhere that even if you don't agree with me, I can still love you. I can still show you that I care about you. I can still show you that, listen, this is more important they may be right. Are we willing to drop our egos at the altar? We drop a lot of things, but we have a hard time dropping our egos. Are we willing to say, man, I don't want to be right anymore. I want to be clothed in righteousness. We've won so many fights and lost people. That's why some marriages don't, don't thrive. We want to be right. And then we go to bed 
angry. And the Bible says, don't go to bed angry. Make amends. What does love require of me to make amends with those I don't agree with? Is this what we signed up for? Because this is what Jesus signed up for. This is what the first Christians signed up for. They signed up to love the world. And love them well. Love them exactly where they are. And believe that the Spirit of God can change people. Here's the problem with us. We want to change people. But if you notice, you can even change yourself. If we were to take our Christian's mask off this morning, there's some things you're still doing and you're like, why do I keep still doing this stuff? Oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me. Okay. <laughs> but it's so easy to focus on someone else's sin. Because that takes the attention off the fact that I got work to do. What does love require of me? That's a question for every area of life. Can we talk about money, how uncomfortable that makes us feel? What does love require of me when it comes to my money? What do you think? I really believe this. If all of us are asking these questions, there's going to be some serious, radical lifestyle changes, including how we spend our money. We wouldn't be worried about God, church, taking your money because God has your money. I'm telling you, this will change us for the better, I believe. It will, it will liberate you from being so consumed with being right and being holy in your own way and being a Christian in your own way. Like, this will mess you up in a good way if we're really serious about this question. The next time you have to have a difficult conversation, what is the end goal of that difficult conversation? I hope it's this question. Because I have difficult conversations every week as a pastor. Every week. But as people come to the office, I'm starting to ask this question, God, what, what, what do your love require of me meeting with this person? Because here's the thing. We automatically assume that love is soft. There's nothing soft about dying on the cross, my friends. No, this takes way more strength and humility. It's easy for me to be prideful. It's easy for me, when you check me, to get defensive automatically. That's default. This is challenging. Like you said, hey, I'm going to make it simple but not easy. I'm going to simplify it, but I'm going to challenge you. But I'm not just going to challenge you with some philosophy. I'm going to challenge you with a lifestyle. Now you understand what he said, hey, if any man wants to follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. I think the reason why the world has not seen more of Jesus is because we stop asking Jesus questions. I think that's why some people run away from church instead of running to church. So back to that question that I want to ask you is, if, if all you had was your life, not the Bible, but just your life. Would someone say, I know Jesus rose from the dead because I see it in your life? Think about that. If all they had was your life, would they say, something happened because I see it in you? To me, that's the greatest apologetic approach to Christianity. Is how well do I live the Jesus question so others can say, whoa, something about you that I can say it's because love requires of me.
I think we would build way more bridges with people. We would have more open doors. I think people want to listen more. Because Peter, when he, when he understood this, Peter was a loud mouth. He was, Peter was what a lot of Christians are today before they got saved. The problem is they, they think they're saved. <laughs> when Peter understood this on his letter, go read it. He said, no, now here's what's going to happen. Once you understand what love requires of you, Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, go read it. He said this. He said, now there's a different approach. Now is be ready to give an account for what you believe, but do it with gentleness and compassion. Because those two things might open doors for others. You see how we got this wrong? Anyone who approaches the gospel with, you're going to hell, didn't get it. I don't know about you guys. It's not hell that made me become a Christian. And if it did, it wouldn't kept me as a Christian. No, it's the grace of God that led me to repentance. It's the fact that he loved me so much, even though I didn't love him, that compelled me to want to take a second look at this thing. If people had only your life, would they say Jesus rose from the dead? See, my friends, this is what I'm trying to get at. Church, church, go to my next slide. Church should be, should be, if we're asking the right questions, church should be a group of people that makes you feel like God has not given up on the world. Leave that up there. Is this what people think when they think about church? I say leave that up there. <laughs> Pointing at it. No, seriously, guys. Is this what people think when they think about church? Man, I go to church and I feel like God has not given up on the world. I meet Christians and I feel like, oh, I just receive a fresh breath of hope. I meet Christians and I'm like thirsty now. You know what people are saying? You know, listen, you better pay attention. You know what the world is saying about Kanye? I want to go read the Bible. Some of, some of the guys from church went to go see Kanye's movie and they said behind us there was these teenagers who sat there through the credits and said, man, I think I need to go read the Bible. A guy tweeted, a guy tweeted, he said, listen, I'm an atheist and Kanye got me saying, God, I'm confused. But what is the church saying? He doesn't fit. Orthodox. But people are saying, he's making me want to take a look at God. He's making me want to take a look at the Bible. Does people say that about you? I'm afraid the followers of Jesus are preaching all the wrong messages of Jesus. That's why we have to entangle. People should say, man, it's a breath of fresh air talking to you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm convicted by that. Like, when I meet people who don't follow Jesus, I just want to leave something there. And I'll tell you one more, one more thing. I was thinking about this this morning as I pray, and I'm like, God, I'm not so concerned with the Christian. I'm concerned with the world. The problem is Christians want me to be concerned with them. 
when there's a dying world that we should all should be focusing that way. So we make church about us. Pastor, I'm offended. Pastor, I need this. Pastor, I need that. Pastor, I need this. It's like we're all little kids asking for the attention as opposed to growing up a little bit and saying, okay, what does love require of me? Because I need to go show the world that there's a Jesus who loves them and cares about them. Do you understand how much easier would it be to start a church that it is just for Christians? That would be easy. That's like, I don't even have to try. I can just get up there and go, womp, 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 and you'd be like, eh, great sermon, pastor. See you next week. what I talk about? I don't know, but it was great. That's the truth. We can do that. We can do that. So a lot of people do that, and they're okay with it. I went to church. What'd you get out of it? I'm supposed to get out of something? I went. Isn't that enough? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, my friends. I think we signed up for the wrong thing. I think we signed up for this, a group of people that makes the world say God is still in the midst. Isn't that what he said? When two or three are gathered, I'm right in their midst, bringing healing, bringing hope, bringing salvation, bringing power, bringing restoration. And I'll tell you, if that's not happening, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? No, we want to see this thing come to life, just like it came to life in their lives. See, here's what I think practical love looks like. Let me give you an example of what's going on right now in the church. Let me give you three examples of what's going on. This week, we have 43 crews serving the city this week. 43 different groups are going out there and serving. They're going to be in... Shelters, they're going to be imprisoned, they're going to be in youth homes, they're going to be in nursing homes, they're going to be at the uh, social worker areas. 43 different crews saying, hey, there's a God. And we want to show you tangibly what he looks like. Love in action. This basketball league for me is deeper than just basketball. Think about it. There's a group of people saying, hey, we want to create a space for your children to come and learn basketball and do homework. You, you know what those kids are going to learn? Life. Greatest lessons I've learned in life is sports. That's why I got excited when they came up with this idea. I'm like, that's what taught me a lot of things. Right now as we speak behind me, we're building a food pantry. That's going to help hundreds of families going through difficult times come and get a meal and get something to help them. Because we have to keep asking, what does love require of me? We stop asking that, we, we, we are in the religious category. I don't say these things to make you feel bad. I, I want us to have a spiritual awakening of what it really means to follow Jesus. That coming to church does not mean we're following Jesus. Let's just be honest. We're just going to church. But this is being the church. On your seat right now, reach inside. Reach inside right now in your pocket seat. Go, right, go ahead, reach inside. Thou shall reach inside. <laughs> Do you see those invite cards there? Do you see them? Grab a hold of them. There should be invite cards in every seat. You know what this is? It's an invitation to someone who's not here. Someone who needs the love of Jesus. 
But I don't want you to just randomly give it to somebody. I want you to pray because I do believe in divine appointments. I do believe there are people in your life positioned by God for you to reach them. Because if a whole, listen, if a whole week goes by and we didn't try, we're not asking the right questions. I'm telling you, if another Sunday comes by and you came to church and you didn't take, try to get one person to come to church, you're not following Jesus. I'm just going to be honest. You're just being religious. And, and Christians, if you don't have one Christ, a friend who's not in church, you're doing life wrong. Because some people are proud of that. All my friends are saved. All my friends are Christians. Look at my Christian bubble. And the world is going to hell. Think about the alternative for Kanye. If we're not excited about his journey, we're saying, I'd rather you go to hell, Kanye. Do we think enough about hell in the right context as opposed to sending people to hell? Do we, do we, get, do we get like passionate about pulling people out of it? Because that's what the excitement of Christianity is, is to pull people out of the fire of life. And I don't mean a place somewhere. I'm talking about the people are living in hell with no love, with, no, with no, no one reaching out, no one saying there's something else. And I'm telling you something, the world is asking those questions. It's hoping someone will say it's okay to talk about it. And I believe there's divine appointments today. Today's Sunday. I believe by next Sunday, there's people that God's going to put in your heart. If you're paying attention, if you're asking God, what does your love require of me? There's people he's putting in your life strategically for you. There's people that I will never be able to reach. They're not in my vicinity. You have a world. You have a world. Your immediate world. Where you shop and where you do yoga and where you lift weights and, and where you go get your donuts. There's so, that's your world. And God says, go love that world. Not an imaginary world. No, the world you live in. There's people there who are in need of hope and grace and mercy and healing. Love that world. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, please share it with another person. And for more information, visit our website, newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.